Hey, everybody, this is Chuck Everson from Villanova University, and welcome to the Big East Rewind. The Big East Rewind came about when Sonny Sparrow and I from Syracuse University were on a recruiting trip and became friends, and we've been friends ever since. And we had a bond that has developed over playing in the very tough Big East Conference. The Big East Rewind is all about Big East basketball, old school style with the battles and stories that came about during our time playing in the Big East. From the perspective of the media, coaches, former players, and even officials. So we hope you enjoy the Big East Rewind. Welcome to the Big East Rewind. Today is a very special show. We're going to honor Louis Orr, the man, the coach, the mentor, the Christian, the father. What a great man. And we have as our special guest, Dr. Hal Cohen, who was his classmate, came in with him, spent four years with him. And Dale Shackelford, who was a year ahead of him, a little more of a team leader. And Coach Mike Brown, who recruited him at the University of Cincinnati. Going to be a great show. Sit back, listen, enjoy the Big East Rewind. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of the Big East Rewind. I'm your host, Chuck Everson, and my co-host, as always, is Sonny Sparrow of Syracuse University. And Sonny, today we talk about somebody that uh, the basketball world, the Big East world, lost uh, on December 14th uh, at too young an age. At 64 years old, uh, we lost Louis Orr, a fellow Orangeman, um, a legend, uh, legendary player at Syracuse. And today, as we've done in the past, We've had some shows where we talked about Pearl and Coach Massimino. Uh, we're going to talk about Louis Orr and honor his memory today on the Big East Rewind. So how are you, Sonny? How are you? Tell us, uh, tell us your earliest memory of, of Louis. My earliest memory of Louis was, as first of all, as a fellow thin man, okay, <laughs> I love the fact that Louis was successful at his height and his weight. Number one, right. I was maybe closer to his weight than I thought, and he had me by four inches. And he just could do things, and he could do it inside, right? And I'm a point guard. I'm going to stay outside. I don't care. So I thought, okay, I got a shot at this. And he just was just he was he was so quiet and humble. It took it. You didn't get to know Lewis like right away. It took some time, right? So I didn't really become very close with Lewis early. Plus, he was also, you know, playing in the NBA and, and everything like that. So it was at different moments that I was able to, you know, spend a little time with him here and there and then communicating with Tex and uh, over the years. And then, you know, the Seton Hall job and then he's close to, you know, where my, my in-laws are and stuff like that. So yeah. it, it was my first memory was, OK, here's this 55 dude. He's thin as a rail, but he's wiry and tough. And he, he to me, he always seemed like, A, he was never injured, you know. And like that was impressive for what he went up against and what he did, how he was able to do it, and just smooth as silk. And he had that yeah. that baseline, that fifteen footer. And my my high school teammate Sean Karens tried to emulate Lewis, and in fact he changed his number his sophomore year to fifty five. Right, right. You know he was forty five when he started, and then he changed fifty five. He was, I'm gonna be Lewis. And I was like, well, go for it, man. <laughs> Well, we're, we're going to have a, we're going to have a good discussion today, Sonny. We have yeah. we have a great panel of oh yeah, my boys, my guys coaches. here. Man. We got the guys here, so let me introduce everybody. 
first are from Seton Hall University and the University of Cincinnati. Cincinnati University, sorry, was uh, Coach Mike Brown. Mike was an assistant at Cincinnati and recruited Lewis uh, to go to Cincinnati. He's also an assistant coach at Seton Hall. He was the associate head coach at Fordham. And now he's the executive director of the Black Rock Foundation, which helps inner city athletes improve their educational opportunities through faith, education, and basketball. How are you, coach? Hi, Chuck. How are you? Welcome back. This is a two-time uh, two-time showing for Coach Brown. I'm honored. Right? I'm there honored. There you go. Uh, it's right. always a pleasure to uh, reminisce with you guys and uh, talk about, think about uh, the Big East days. Uh, as time goes on, I think we all uh, recognize how blessed we were to be yeah. part of that great conference and all those great moments and uh i'm no different also joining us today is hal Cohn, who was a, a syracuse player in the same class as lewis and roosevelt Bowie. and that that crew over there at syracuse had a uh a successful career uh at su and uh you know also as we we joked earlier he is he's world renowned and famous for his foul shooting so we're gonna we're gonna talk about that as well too. What I mean, so Hal, you just went in, went through your normal routine, and then just said, "Let me just see how many I can make before I missed." Is that how that went down? Yes. Um, well, in high school, you know, at the end of practice, the coaches would always say, um, "You know, shoot twenty five free throws, go shower, and then go home." You know, and um, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if you guys are the same way, but <clears throat> when you make the last, you know, if you make your 25th shot, we always said, yeah, okay, now shoot till you miss now. So I made my 25th shot and I kept shooting. And uh, an hour and a half later, I'd, I had made 598 in a row. Wow. Wow. But at that time, we didn't have the, I don't know if you guys know about this thing called the internet. <laughs> we, we didn't have that back then. So we had to go up to the library that's a place where they have a lot of books. I don't know if you guys know. know about that's that, also but... the name of a bar in Syracuse. I don't think I don't know. You know, I played there. That's in the hotel you know, Syracuse basement. I would tell everybody I was in the library. <laughs> Meanwhile, I was having, you know, a few sodas with Sonny. So we looked it up and it said the, the world record was 499 by Bunny Levitt. And um, so, um, but it turned out some other guy had made 1700 or something like that, you know. Wow. So, so I guess I was in second or third or second place or something. And the, you just, did you just get tired after 598? Did you just get tired? I don't really. I just remember being, uh, you know, my calves were tight. My hand was tight. But I, I used to take three dribbles and then shoot. And then I got to that point where I was just like, okay, I'm just going to shoot it. When they threw it back to me, you know. And um, so I ended up doing that. And then my arm kind of, you know, how it kind of gets stuck. And uh, <laughs> wow, so, got to economize your energy. That's you all. have to ice that shoulder down, Hal. But uh, I, I'll know, I, uh, but the next game was, which was two days later, I got fouled going in for a layup, you know, right in the first quarter. And my first two foul shots, I, I got all these signs in the gym, you know, pulling this 598, that, da, 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 you know, greatest person in the world. And uh, that was my mother's sign. Uh, <laughs> and, um, I clang, clang. I miss them both. 
So that's yep, the difference between we talked about. That's the difference between practice and, and real life. Of course. And, but, and well, welcome Hal to the show. Thank you. Thanks thank you. On. And, and finally, uh, last but certainly not least, Sonny, the original Shaq is with the us. Original Dale Shaq, Shackford, who is an outstanding player, played a long time in Europe, a 13-year pro career in Europe. Uh, Syracuse legend as well. Dale, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Chuck. Thank you, Sonny. Uh, Mike, it's good to see you. Hal, it's always a pleasure seeing you. Nice seeing you. Yeah. Um, you know, finally, people got it right. You know, the uh, original Shaq. You know, <laughs> uh, a few years until that other guy with a Q retired before they realized that, you know, really the original. Yeah, and also, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give props to this, too. Everybody thinks Patrick Ewing's the first guy to wear the T-shirt under the jersey. That's that's it. Dale Shackelford was the first guy that did it. My whole high school, when we had our practice gear, we were putting T-shirts on and we were all trying to be Shaq. There you go. So both, both of these guys I idolized. Now, I don't know if you know Hal. Hal's a doctor, right? So he had gone through the program at Syracuse. So when I wanted to go to dental school, I was like, I have a legitimate shot because Hal's already done this. <laughs> because it's hard. I mean, it's hard to get some of those classes in labs and – I could always say, listen, Hal did it, so I could do it, you know. And then Shaq, I mean, Shaq was just a hero of all of ours at Union Indicat, so. Yeah, that's great Thank stuff. You. So, guys, let's just start out. I mean, you know, when you were recruited, Hal, let's start with you. When you were recruited, you know, did how did that work as far as coming to SU and, and you know, when you met Lewis and, and Roosevelt and the guys that came in in your class? Did you guys know each other prior? Was it somebody when you met him when you first came on campus? How did that all shake out? Well, yeah, that's interesting because, you know, back then um, there was no AAU. And um, so the big thing was to go to the camps and, you know, the big orange camp. I came here my sophomore year and, you know, going into my junior year, my junior sophomore, uh, junior year, going into my senior year of the summer. So I met Rosie because Rosie came to the camp. Lou, I didn't I didn't know. But the interesting thing, so you don't really know about the players that we were coming in at that time. Now they have all sorts of uh, video on everybody, you know. So when I first met Lou, uh, we, you know, you're out of the Manly Fieldhouse and everybody's looking around and see who, you know, and kind of looking at each other to see who's who and what's what. And my first thought was, man, Rosie's huge. And number two, I was, I felt bad for Lou. Yeah, I didn't really know him. I'm looking over there, and he's six foot eight, and he's 160. I was I weighed more than Lou, and um, he had braces. Um, had some, I think he had some acne. Uh, and I thought, man, this guy, this guy's gonna have a lot of trouble. Until we went out onto the court, and I said, wow, this guy's pretty good. <laughs> so that was our initial meeting was at uh, at Manly Fieldhouse. Yeah. Now, Dale, you were what a sophomore then when they came in. Yeah, I was a sophomore and, uh, you know, fortunate for me and probably unfortunate for Lewis. Uh, we were roommates uh, his freshman year, my sophomore year. And, um, you know, I, I go into the dorm because the year before that I had uh, Billy Keith as a roommate. And, um, you know, I, I went into the dorm room on the 14th floor of Lawrenson. Yeah. There's this uh, six, eight skinny kid in the room there. And I'm looking like, you know, who the heck is this guy? You know, <laughs> what's he going to do? You know, this is what brought in to, you know, fight me for my position. So uh, it turned out, uh, you know, 
Lewis was a, a great competitor. You know, he pushed me to the limits most times in practice. Um, he was the type of person that, you know, he was, he was a quiet assassin. He was very quiet, you know, didn't make a lot of noise, didn't talk trash to anybody. He was just there to get the job done. And, you know, as the years went on, you know, Roosevelt and I would say, okay, you know, we got to make sure we box out because Lewis slip in and get the rebound. And, you know, Lewis always was good, uh, you know, around the basket, you know, getting rebounds. He was a little bit uh, more physical than people thought he was. Right. Yeah. Hold his own down there. And, uh, you know, he'd give you those sharp elbows and, uh, you know, the jump shot and running the floor, you know, that was Lou's uh, bread and butter. Yeah. Coach, now you recruited Lewis. He grew up in Cincinnati, as we know. And uh, you recruited him, right, for for University of Cincinnati? I did, Chuck. Um, I forget what year. I guess Lewis probably was a senior uh, in 76. Yes. 677. Uh, so uh, his junior year, he would come over and play with our guys at the old uh, field house on the Cincinnati campus. And, um, you know, we followed up with a recruiting process because he was a local kid uh, and the best player in the city. But we were loaded then. Uh, Pat Cummings uh, wasn't even our best player. Uh, He was the one who went on post-college and had the most notoriety playing with the Bucks and the Knicks and the Mavericks. But uh, we had some other really good college players to the point where we were ranked, you know, second, third, fourth in the country there for a good part of the season. And then eventually in March, lost to Marquette, who went on to win the national championship. So consequently, when it came down to if we were going to offer Lewis a scholarship, Coach uh, Gail Catlett, who was the head coach at the time, decided that it probably wasn't a good idea to offer a local kid a scholarship if he wasn't going to have an opportunity to play for us which, as it turned out, was the best thing for Lewis because he would have sat for us for at least two years till he was a junior. And, you know, whereas uh, he went to Syracuse, and if I'm not mistaken, he started right away, which was probably, not probably, was best for his development as a player. So that, that was the story about, you know, Lewis and University of Cincinnati and us recruiting him. Great kid, got to know him, got to know Lindsey, his brother. Um, and he started hanging out with our, our players during the summer, that summer between his junior and senior year. And, uh, you know, I was really kind of disappointed that we didn't offer him because he was, you know, part of, part of the family, basically. But, you know, as I said, in the end, it turned out best for him that we didn't because Syracuse was the better situation for him. So what, what, tell us about what kind of player was he in high school, Mike? You know, I mean, when you're looking at a kid, you know, any kid, not just Lewis, but tell us what, you know, what, what type of player was he back then? And how did his, 
you know, we saw him when he was with the Knicks. We saw him a little bit at Syracuse. How did his game evolve from, from the high school game to where he wound up being, you know, when he made the NBA level? Well, yeah, a good question, Chuck. Um, obviously, at 6'8", playing on the high school level, he had to play in the post with his back to the basket. And so, you know, when I go watch Lewis play and I see him, you know, at 170 pounds playing in the post and, you know, we're playing, uh, we were in the old Metro 7 back in those days. You old timers should remember the Metro 7. Uh, Cincinnati, Louisville, uh, Tulane, Georgia Tech, Memphis State, um, you know, which that was a pretty good league back then. Uh, didn't get the notoriety of some of the other big time conferences, but you know, we're playing Louisville with uh, Wesley Cox and Daryl Griffith and Junior Bridgman. Uh, those those are some pretty good basketball teams. Um, and I, you know, you just didn't see Lewis Orr at six eight, one hundred and seventy five pounds being able to play in the Metro seven conference, uh, not necessarily from a skill perspective, just a physical perspective. So um, as much as I liked him and would have loved to have him in our program, I believe coach Catler was correct in making the decision. Look, let, let him go someplace where he's going to get an opportunity to play. And um and Lewis accepted it. I think his brother, Lindsay, was a little salty. You know, he talked a little trash around town about us, uh, which was fine because, as I said, you know, the decision for us not to offer him and him go to Syracuse turned out to be the best thing for Lewis. Certainly hey, did. Uh, Dale, do you remember who recruited Lewis, wasn't it? Was it Rick Patino? Wasn't it Rick Patino or was it Bernie? I'm not sure because, uh, you know, to be honest with you, I, I tried to stay away from the program during the summers. Uh, you know, I, I, I had I had jobs. Uh, you know, I, I worked at uh, camps uh, up in the Adirondacks during the summer and that. And, uh, you know, I tried to avoid the basketball camps and, uh, you know, being around after uh, having a long season. But, uh, you know, to my knowledge, uh, you know, I guess Patino had heard of Lewis uh, when he was out in Hawaii. And, uh, you know, he heard the situation that uh, didn't work out for him with Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, he brought uh, Lewis to the attention of uh, Coach Behan. I think I heard the story about, wasn't, but didn't uh, Coach Pacino, didn't he get married? That Just going to uh, say he, that, yep. He was on his honeymoon in New York or something, and, and Coach Behan got on the phone and called him. He says, we got to get this kid from Cincinnati. Can you, or I don't think he said, can you? <laughs> he right. said, get out, to, get out to Cincinnati and, and see this kid. And so he got, he got on a, I think it was on his honeymoon, you know, on his honeymoon, he got on a plane and went out to Cincinnati and saw him play. And then there's, I read uh, something about who was, the, was wasn't uh, like too excited about getting on planes. And so Coach Bettino said he had to do everything he could to get him on the plane because he knew if he could get him to Syracuse that uh, he thought he could be re recruit him. So somehow he told him he'd sit next to him and <laughs> he got him on the plane and got him to Syracuse. So. I think that's how it kind of how it went, or that's what I heard anyway. So, so Hal, your freshman class was you, Lewis, Rosie. Was there one other player? Yeah, it was a guy named Cliff Warwell. 
Cliff. From, yeah, from Kander. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was. That's my neighbor down here. I yeah, don't yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was a great. It really was a great. It was a great class. I mean, Rosie and Lou. Uh, even Cliff was a nice guy, but uh, I mean, obviously, Rosie and Lou were two of the nicest guys uh, you'd ever want to meet. Um, you know, and Lou and, and and Rosie. You know, kind, humble, like you said before. Just, uh, I'm trying to think of any time we were. I don't. Over four years, I don't remember any of us really being sick or missing practice or or uh, having a, a run in with the coaches or you know, you know. I think we did what we were told and um, we're hard workers and I think we ended up being I think 100 118 over the over the four years. Yeah, I think Lewis, I Lewis had uh, Lewis had arthroscopic surgery uh, his uh, sophomore year. I think it was. Yeah, that was interesting because he, that, he, he yeah, didn't that stay was too long. Yeah, because nobody had heard of that before. You know, that was kind of a new sports medicine type thing, and everybody's like, "Don't you? Aren't you like out for the year when you have surgery on your knee?" And uh, he came back. I don't think he he may have missed just one game or something like that. Yeah, yeah. he was back within less than a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's ridiculous. Crazy, huh. yeah. So, Dale, who was in your class? Who was the class ahead of those guys? Uh, my freshman year, I had uh, uh, Billy Keys and Reggie Powell came in the same as I did. It was a year after they were went to the Final Four. Um, and, you know, they had Kevin King, uh, Chris Sees, yep. uh, Burns was back, uh, Don Dagner, uh, Ernie Sieber, Bobby Parker. Then our guards, uh, Jimmy Williams, Ross Kendall, Larry Kelly, Larry Arrington. Um, you know, we had a good nucleus of guys and, uh, you know, thank God for, uh, you know, my sophomore year and the great recruiting that uh, Bayheim uh, did that got me out of the center spot. And, you know, we brought Roosevelt in and that, and, uh, you know, we brought Lewis into, you know, basically, uh, you, know, uh, you know, people don't realize Lewis really didn't start, but Lewis played a lot his freshman year. Uh, you know, he used to come in for myself and Roosevelt and uh, sometimes uh, with Marty Burns. And, uh, you know, he played three positions, uh, you know, his freshman year. So, uh, you know, Coach Bayham was good for that, to, you know, move guys around a little bit and give guys uh, opportunities then as opposed to now. You know, he holds freshmen back. Yeah, he would play typically like to, he'd have a, a forward sub and a guard sub. And if he was a forward sub, he had to sub in for any of those three spots, like you said. Right. Yeah. Well, I think as Coach Brown said, you know, coming to uh, Syracuse, it turned out to be, like you said, it was. I think it was a great um, opportunity for him because not only was he playing against Danny, you know, I mean, uh, Rosie and Danny Shays every day in practice, he was going up against like Marty Burns, you know, smaller, quicker, you know, forwards uh, and Shaq and um, who else we had? Well, Kevin James, remember Kevin James? Kevin and uh, so he had a mix of guarding big guys as well as the, you know, the shorter, quicker forwards. And, uh, and um, he could he could play against both of those types of players, and and you give him a fifteen foot jump shot, and he, he he wouldn't miss it. You know, on the elbow, he he never missed from those from that spot. And yeah. I think, yeah. Well, go ahead. No, that's it. I mean, so we used to break down our. You know, you guys probably did the same thing. You know, you break down the guards' drills. You know, and then the forwards went with the forwards and centers, and the forwards played against the centers. And geez, we spent. Probably half an hour. It seemed like a half an hour every day doing that, which, you know, I don't know if all teams do that, but that seemed to be, you know, uh, 
something I, you know, we used to scrimmage all the time, like in high school and stuff like that, not breaking down individually like that. And I think, you know, with him and Rosie developing that high-low game that they had, that was also that was also huge for him. So, yeah. so Dale, you stayed. You probably stayed the closest to to Lewis, Lou, over his post career, right? Yeah, we were. We well, and, and saying that because I, I left and went to Europe and South America for a while, and I had lost contact with Lewis. Uh, I was back when he uh, was coaching at Siena. Right. I was down there for a few of his games and stuff, and saw him uh, there and everything, and. Uh, I didn't get a chance to see him uh, when he was at Bowling Green or Seton Hall unless he came up to Syracuse. And then when he was at Syracuse, I saw him a lot at the games and stuff. But, uh, you know, throughout our years, uh, you know, we kept in touch, uh, mainly through Roosevelt, because uh, Roosevelt and Lewis always kept in touch. Um, Rosie always told me, uh, you know, you can't call Lewis because he leaves his cell phone in the trunk of his car. And he, <laughs> um, you know, I, I understood why he never got back, uh, you know, all the time. But, uh, you know, he, he did keep in touch every now and then. And um, he, uh, you know, when he, he was at Syracuse and at uh, Siena, uh, you know, we were, you know, in communication a lot because I was at a lot of the games. Yeah. One of the things that Raphael told me, Addison, Raph was coaching one of the high school teams. I think he was at Snyder. I think it was his high school. And he said Lewis would just say, you know, bring your guys over. He would have them over to the Seton Hall. He'd bring them to camp. He let a lot of them go you know, no cost. And Raph says, like, he used to take care of his players. Raph, anything you need, come on over. He just really, really reached out a hand to Raph and to his kids and, and was just really there for him. It was really truly a kind of an alumni, Syracuse alumni connection, but it was way more than that. And they didn't necessarily have, say, I would say a close relationship prior, but it was just, hey, you're here, I'm here. We need to do this. And and Raph, I mean, was singing his praises when we talked the other day, just about a, a number of these situations. And he said, and he would have me, and then he still paid me. He was like, he took my kids for nothing, and he still paid me for it. Like, he didn't have to do that. And he would, you know, we'd go to the games, and some of it was overnight camp, and some of it was other stuff. But he really, he really truly was such a gentleman, you know, to everybody. And I've never, I've never heard a crossword ever spoken about Lewis, ever. By anybody. Well, Pringle knew Lewis. Lewis was, uh, you know, from a very, very, very religious family. And yep. that's how he carried himself all the time. Uh, you know, he, we, we had our fun in college and stuff, but, you know, Lewis was the type of person that, um, you know, he, he wanted to go to church. He, you know, not go out and drink and, uh, you know, do the crazy things that, uh, you know, a lot of us did in college. And, um, you know, that was just, you know, the humbling part of him and the type of person that he was. And you can see that that was the way he carried himself uh, throughout his life. So for the Syracuse guys, how, how did the Louie and Bowie show, the moniker of the Louie and Bowie show, how did that get its start? And talk about some of those games at Manly Fieldhouse and how tough it was as an opponent, you know, for opponents coming in. It was like going into the Lions then going into that place, right? Yeah, I mean, I think we um, what was the fifty was it fifty one in a row or something like that. And yeah. uh, Manly Fieldhouse was the perfect setting, you know. On camp, you know, kid, you know, we could walk to the camp, you know, walk to the gym, and uh, pace is always packed. I think it held nine or ten thousand, but it seemed like you know, seemed like fifty thousand. And I remember somebody asking me, 
hey, you think this domes thing's going to work when they first thinking about it? You know, 30,000 people. And I'm thinking, man, it's going to seem so empty with only nine or 10,000 people, not thinking there would be 30,000 people. But anyway. Um, but you guys were right. They were right on the court. Oh, right on top of you. Yeah. And oh, it, yeah. Was like, it was like a like a football stadium. It was like a round yeah. you know, cylinder. Yeah. No, it was a great place to play and great environment. And um and I think not only that we as players fed off of that, but I think the referees also, <laughs> you know, those 50-50 balls became 70-30 balls, you know? Yeah. So that, that was always very helpful. But uh, in terms of Louie and Bowie show, I mean, obviously, um, once they got going, you know, be, uh, sports writers like to come up with little nicknames. And, uh, and um, if I could have changed my name to Cooey, <laughs> you might have had a shot. I might have had a shot. <laughs> so, uh, That's a missed opportunity, right? Oh, there you man. Go. I was talking to my mother about changing my name. She said, nope. <laughs> you just need to make it a nickname. That's all you needed to do. Right? No, they were, I mean, they were twosome. And again, I, I just go back to that high low business, you know, with the high low. But we didn't, I don't even remember having, do you, I don't know, Sonny, you, did you guys have any plays? I don't remember having any plays. I mean, we had a couple or something, right? We we, we did that. We were doing all the motion thing, you know, you're, you pass and you go run around and, and we then. Didn't, um, we didn't have a lot of set plays. But it ended up going, uh, you'd, you'd pass and run around and all of a sudden you'd end up the high low with Lou and, and Rosie. And then, Again, this half an hour of day practicing high low moves, uh, high low post game, and and that was that was really unstoppable. Yeah, but yeah. Um, well, I think that when they took that picture of those two running in stride, yeah, yeah, and, and you got the 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 they both had the left foot forward and the right foot, uh, you know, it was just an iconic photo, and that was oh, it. I got it right here, Sonny. I got it right here. <laughs> Iconic. You'll you'll never. It's oh, there it is. Yep. There. There you uh, go. Can you see it? Yep. I see it. I also see that mop of hair on you, Hal. And there's Shaq in the back. Glad Shaq. <laughs> Watch it. Shaq's going. Where's he going? <laughs> so now, now when you when you first show up, right? So there's your foursome, and there's three bigs, and there's you. You're you're a guard, right? Yeah. So. What were some of the experiences that you guys had that you that you remember back to your time with those guys and you know anything you know related to Louie, Bowie? You mean anything? in terms of on the court or off the court? That's wide open. Well, I'm going to go with one off the court one first. If, All right, Shaq, is it okay if I go? Go ahead. Can we lose Shaq? Yeah, I think we for should. a second. Yeah. Uh, well, we were freshmen, and you know, and Lou was a quiet guy, Rosie was a quiet guy, and I was a quiet guy. Not, we were very, I don't know if we call ourselves socially inept, but we were close. And, um, and Cliff was off in another world, but, um, so we had this, uh, somebody said, hey, you know, one of these fraternity houses has steak on Monday nights, you know, you can come and go to the fraternity, this fraternity house, you know, and we said, oh, okay, you know, we were eating whatever, and so we went every Monday night, like for five weeks in a row to this fraternity house to eat steak, you know, this is, this is great. Thank you guys. You know, wow. And then like on the sixth week, all of a sudden some guy stands up and says, all right, everybody upstairs or wherever we were, 
line up and like we're like what what's going on here <laughs> and Lou and Rosie and I are sitting there looking at each other what is this and, and then all these other guys I mean 15 16 other guys you know like you know excited about doing something you know at all so uh, they said okay we got these uh, uh, messages little notes you know hidden around the campus and they're going to lead you to the next note and the first, the first one canister, you know, that water tower uh, on campus there by Thornton Park there? Thornton Park, there? yeah, yeah, yeah. That was where the first one was. So somebody had to climb up there. <laughs> so everybody was all excited. Rah! And Rosie and I are looking at, Rosie, Lou and I are looking at each other going, uh oh, this is, this is not, this is not going to be good. So we bust, everybody bust through the door to go, you know, run after this first canister. And the, the 15 of them go left, and Rosie, Lou, and I go right back to the door. <laughs> that was our last. That was our last um, dinner last, we had. <laughs> last Monday night steak. <laughs> there you go. So that was my off the court, off the campus, uh, off the court this story. But Jack, you got any stories? Or is he I, I, I have to apologize, guys. I got disconnected there for a second. Yep. We got so you we, back. We, we were talking about Manly Fieldhouse and some of the stories uh, playing in Manly Fieldhouse on and off the court with Lewis. Well, Lewis used to always, I don't know if Hal said this earlier, but Lewis always was very nervous and uh, you know, little butterflies in the stomach before a game. And he'd either, um, you know, have the runs or he'd have to throw up. And, you know, it, it was something that, you know, didn't matter if it was, um, you know, when he was coaching or when he was playing. You know, Lewis has always had that nervousness in him. So uh, we were at training table one day, uh, before a pregame meal, I should say, uh, one day. And uh, this is when, uh, you know, we've gone through the year and Lewis is having his little uh, problems with uh, eating and stuff. And, um, you know, we were, uh, our trainer, Don Lowe, was saying, well, maybe Lewis should just have some scrambled eggs for pregame instead of, you know, the steak and baked potato and green beans and everything like everyone else is having. So this went on for maybe two or three games. And, you know, this is probably the first time I've ever seen Lewis upset. Uh, the waitress brought the plate to him with the scrambled eggs and stuff on it. And Lewis just slammed his hand down on a counter and said, I want some meat. I'm tired of eating eggs. And we all just turned and looked at Lewis. It's like, wow, Lewis does have a... <laughs> it was only when he was hungry. <laughs> but he had the, uh, you know, they gave him all the uh, protein shakes and that. And he had more friends at our dorm room to drink the protein shakes than Lewis did. Uh, he just, you know, he just didn't like that. You know, they tried everything to put weight on him. And uh, he just couldn't do it. Um, I can't tell you some of the uh, other stories about uh, Lewis and I when we were roommates, but, uh, you know, he was a great roommate to have. You know, he always made sure that when it was time to go to practice or time to go to pregame that, uh, you know, he made sure that he rattled my curtain or, you know, banged on the door and said, Shaq, let's go. we got to go. We're going to be late. So, uh, you know, in, in that sense, you know, he was a great roommate. He was a great competitor every day in practice, you know, didn't showing aggression other than, uh, you know, he was hungry. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to miss him. I'm going to miss him. Yeah, then, you know, after after Syracuse now, he gets drafted by the Indiana Pacers, right? Plays two years there and winds up with the New York Knicks. 
um, where he, you know, becomes pretty tight with Patrick, I believe, at that point, right? Pretty good player, um, you know, role, kind of a role player at, at that point, right? Uh, did some good things with the Knicks, but they had some success when he was there, right, guys? Oh, yes, they did. Uh, I was fortunate enough that I went to Lewis's uh, funeral, and I heard Patrick, uh, you know, speak about Lewis and that, and he said when he played with the Knicks and – he used to yell at the coach. He says, why do you have Lewis on the bench? Get Lewis in the game. He's the only one that passes the ball to me. So <laughs> you know, he, he said, I, he goes, I love Lewis. You know, he, he passed me the ball no matter what the situation was, you know, he'd give me the ball. And they showed a clip of Lewis uh, with the Knicks. And I think it was against the Celtics where he got the inbound pass, drew a length of the court and pulled up for a jump shot. And he, he made it for the Knicks to win the game. And they asked Lewis about the, the situation and stuff. And, you know, Lewis is very humble as he is. He said, you know, you know the, the opportunity presented itself. And, you know, with God's will, I was able to, you know, get to my spot and, you know, take my shot. And it, it went in and we won the game. And, you know, that was, that was vintage Lewis. You know, he always gave praise to the Lord for everything that he did. And his, you know, his success was because of God. Yeah, Etan Thomas wrote a really deep, thoughtful um, commentary about his relationship with Lewis that I was really, it was really moving. Yes. And uh, he talked about Lewis telling him, or, you know, hey, let's go to getting him to church, getting him to have a, you know, kind of a spiritual aspect to his own life. Mm -hmm. And him sitting there and talking to him about, you, you're going to have to work hard, you're going to have to work through this you know you, you and at the moment where Etown was ready to just hang it up and quit like I'm sure each of you guys went through that with coach B at some point in time too and just no no you're gonna stick it out and he was there he was sort of like his conscience so he had a bad game and he brought him in the gym like after the game he didn't play and he just had him making all these moves and slamming the ball and it, like he got out this all this anger it was like therapy you know and uh, it was really interesting to see. And he just had that low-key, very reserved approach to everything he did. I remember in communication with him over the last six months about, you know, what we're doing with alumni or what's going on. And, and many times he didn't a lot of times respond to the group message. He would text me separately and he'd say, listen, just so you know, I really appreciate you keeping me included. I, I love it. Thank you. I won't be able to make this, but keep sending me stuff and et cetera, et cetera. So he always kept, he always maintained a connection, but it was always on a very private level. Mm -hmm. I, I always respected that. Yeah. I remember uh, when one of our fellow players was sick with COVID and um, we were in that group, group chat. Yeah. And I had never, I've never been to church. But every, I was always looking forward to see what Lewis's response would be in that, you know, everybody would say, you know, so-and-so hang in there, do good, you know, do this, you know, you know, best wishes, da, da, da. And then Lewis would go on, you know, and, and I was like, oh, so this is what church is like, you know, and it just, and you read it, I'd read it and I'm like, wow, okay. I, you know, nice, you know, I see that and I see that in Lou and uh, uh, that was, that was, I was always very impressed with his his devotion yeah yeah uh when i was when i was at the funeral they showed clips of um you know lewis's interviews and things 
And after every interview or before every interview, Lewis would always say, to God be the glory. He always said that before or after he spoke. And one of his players uh, spoke that he had at Bowling Green who uh, was there um, when they made the coaching transition from the coach they had before to Lewis. And he had, the young man had, uh, you know, he had uh, hurt his knee. He was out for the year and he was just coming back. And, you know, now new coach and Lewis is the new coach. And he was saying like, you know, geez, you know, what do I got to do to play? What do I got to do to play? You know, I'm not getting any playing time. And he said, he went up to Lewis and he talked to Lewis and Lewis told him, he goes, listen, he goes, I need you to play inside around the basket. He goes, well, I'm, a, you know, I'm six, seven, you know, I'm a, um, I'm a shooter. And Lewis says, you know, sometimes you have to give up a position to get a possession. And he said that stuck with him and that made him understand that, you know, maybe, you know, this is where I need to be is inside around the basket. It's not here shooting jump shots if I want to be on the court to play. And he said that stuck with him for the next year or so. Uh, Lewis saying that and he made a point of saying that he had to come to Lewis's funeral and let people know that. Who was who was some of the other speakers that were there, Shaq? I know I know I saw a great photo of you, Patrick, and uh, Rosie. Matter of yeah, fact, we, uh, put, we put that on our social media as well. I mean, it was a great okay. photo of the three of you guys. Who, who, else, of, who else spoke? Uh, he had one of the guys that he grew up in his neighborhood with uh, that played um, you know basketball. He was older than Lewis. Um, I, I've got the. Um, the uh, obituary program and stuff that I could you know grab in a second and look it up, but um, he also had uh, two ministers, uh, one from Seton Hall and one from Bowling Green, who spoke on uh, Lewis' behalf and said, you know, Lewis brought so many great memories and and that to their church. He even brought his whole team to the church in Bowling Green, and uh, you know, out of the 15 players, uh, you know, seven of the players that day, uh, you know, committed themselves to the church. Uh, wow. He also had the uh, athletic director who at the time when Lewis was at Seton Hall, she was more of a, uh, you know, incoming uh, secretary uh, per se looking, you know, for a job and stuff. And Lewis was interviewing her and she was, she said she was very nervous about the interview and stuff. And, you know, Lewis could see that she was shaking and everything. And he goes, um, so what do you think about, uh, you know, the position, the job, and what it entails and stuff? And uh, she said that she couldn't get the word out. She was stuttering and everything. And he just says, relax, honey, you got the job. And now she's the athletic director at Seton Hall. Oh, wow. But she came to speak on that. So uh, he, had, he had quite a few people, um, you know, that uh, you know, spoke on, you know, highly of him and, you know, that, you know, basically everything that, you know, Lewis was that we saw, He's been that way most of his life. You know, it's wild because I, I didn't know him uh, that well. I met him a few times throughout, you know, playing or, and traveling around with basketball and stuff like that. But recently, uh, just a few months ago, actually, uh, one of the current players on Georgetown went to my high school, a kid named Jordan Riley. And his mom was telling me how much influence Lewis had on him because he was going through it his freshman year. He had a shoulder surgery. They weren't winning. Um, you know, it was a real problem. And Lewis kind of talked him down off the roof, so to speak, you know, 
more than once. And, um, you know, they were, they were very, they spoke very, very fondly and very highly of, of him and, uh, and the kind of person uh, he was, you know, and you hear the stories too about, uh, I guess when he um, was looking to get into coaching, he wound up, um, Pete Gillen pulled him into uh, uh, Xavier first, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then, and then took him into Providence. Do you, do you know how that worked out uh, for them at, when, how did that work out for Lou? Were, were you close enough with him that he would talk to you about that kind of stuff? No, I didn't, I didn't know about that because I, I think most of the, when Lewis was there, uh, I was playing over in uh, England at the time. Right. Uh, during that transition and that. So I didn't uh, I really know uh, a lot about uh, you know, his experiences with Xavier and Providence. How about, how about Mike? Coach Brown? I'm sorry. Mike, sorry. how about you? Did you, uh, you coached against him, right? So, what kind of what kind of coach was he? Was he as tenacious as he was on the floor as a player? You know, um, his demeanor as a coach, I felt was similar to his demeanor as a person. You know, the, I mean, you know, some coaches, your your former coach, for instance, you know, was one way when the ball got thrown up, but then you know. Uh, his demeanor normally was totally different from when he was coaching. From my experience, Lewis was Lewis, whether he was coaching basketball, playing basketball, or, you know, uh, in a restaurant having dinner after a game. Um, You know, I I was with uh, the late Jim Valvano once, and uh, he was commenting on my boss, P.J. Carlissimo, and I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember a uh, a commercial for the bakery products, Sarah Lee, uh, but the commercial goes, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, everybody doesn't like something, but nobody doesn't like Sarah Lee. And Valvano uh, paraphrased it and said, you know something about your boss? Everybody doesn't like somebody, but nobody doesn't like PJ. And that's how I feel. And that's been my experience about Lewis Orr. You know, everybody doesn't like somebody, but nobody doesn't like Lewis Orr. You know, Mm -hmm. he was just that kind of person. And our paths bumped into each other all along the his basketball journey and my basketball journey. Uh, when he was at uh, uh, Syracuse as an assistant uh, and I was at West Virginia, uh, you know, we would bump into each other. Um, when, he, he, when he married his daughter that he, um, I don't know if inherited is the right word. What, what's you Syracuse guys are real brilliant. What's the, <laughs> what, what do you call this, his stepdaughter or whatever? The daughter he raised. married, had a family, yeah. all right? And the daughter, uh, ironically enough, was a, a basketball athlete at Fordham where I was the associate head coach. Yeah. So, you know, I would, every now and then I'd have a knock on my door. Here's Lewis. Oh, coach, I was just over to watch my daughter play. I thought I'd stop in and say hi. You know, I mean. Who does that, you know, to someone who I didn't coach Lewis. Uh, you know, I had a very, you know, 
um, limited recruiting experience with him when he was 17 years old. 30 years later, you know, he's stopping my stopping in my office uh, at Fordham to just say hi. Uh, you know, that, that's the kind of guy that he was. And, uh, you know, we would bump into each other a lot on the road uh, when he was where uh, at uh, Siena. Um, you know, Siena was and still is in the Mac and uh, somehow Fordham got on the schedule. Fordham's Atlantic 10, you know, so we're thinking, you know, a Mac team and our kids, more importantly, were thinking, oh, a Mac team, you know, we're going to go in and kick their ass. No, <laughs> they kicked our ass. You know, I mean, Lewis's teams were prepared. They played hard, you know, just like him. So, uh, you know, uh, he, uh, like you said earlier, he, it's a huge loss for the basketball world because, uh, you know, he touched a lot of lives and he was a great ambassador uh, and great role model and example for kids playing the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You just set us up, Mike, for our last thing. I appreciate the segue here. So, guys, you know, where were you and what were your thoughts when you first heard that Lewis had passed. We're, we're up against it. We want to get your final thoughts on on Lewis and wh- where were you and how did you hear about his passing and what did it mean to you to, to be friends and to know Lewis? Uh, I I was shocked. I, I in September, my daughter went to Georgetown, and, um, and so she works in Georgetown in DC now. And uh, so I was up visiting her, and I went into the um, the new uh, building they have on campus, the uh, uh, McDonough redid the, their, their gym area. And, and the last thing they have going out of that building is a picture of them beating us 52 to 50. And when they, you know, they, John Thompson said, Manley's officially closed. So I got, oh. on, I got on the phone with Lou. I said, Lou, I'm over at McDonough. Um, this was in September. And, you know, we just started talking and I said, Hey, I just saw this picture here. He goes, yeah, yeah. I got to go buy that every day. <laughs> and, uh, but he never, I didn't have any hint of anything abnormal or anything like that. And, um, and then uh, somebody, te- I forgot who somebody texted me and said that um, he was um, in hospice and, um, you know, I was just, I, uh, and I, and I did talk to Rosie and he, Rosie kind of had a similar similar story that he had spoken to him about a month before that and like Shaq said I think Lou apparently didn't call Rosie Rosie called Lou and then Lou would call him back and and uh, all of a sudden Lou was calling him you know called Rosie a a month prior to this so and so Rosie thought that was kind of unusual and but they he didn't look into it any further and so very very sad day yeah, he kept everything close to the vest. He was a very personal guy. You know, he didn't yeah. uh, didn't let anything out. Yeah. How about you, Shaq? What What are your final thoughts on on Lewis? Well, I was I, I was sitting home. I was sitting home here with my girlfriend, and uh, we were actually watching uh, the Georgetown game. And I said, "Geez, I haven't seen Lewis on the bench at all this year. Mm. I wonder what's going on and stuff." So I, I I called Roosevelt, and I said, "Rosie, I said, is Lewis still coaching at Georgetown?" He said, yeah, as far as I know. I said, I haven't seen him on the bench. So Rosie said, well, he's the um, 
personal assistant to Patrick Ewing now, and he doesn't travel or anything like that. And I said, wow, I just haven't seen him. So Roy so really said, well, let me, let me call his wife and, and uh, see what's going on and stuff. And, uh, you know, Rosie had called me back and said uh, Lewis was in hospice. And, uh, you know, probably two days later, he, he told me that uh, Lewis had passed away. And, you know, the first thing on uh, my mind, excuse me, guys, is that, you know, I, I, I got to be there to, you know, to see my friend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, I told my girlfriend, you know, I got to, you know, I got I to gotta go to Cincinnati. I got to be there at this funeral uh, for Lewis and for his family. And, um, you know, I called Roosevelt and I told him that he was going and Roosevelt said, well, I'm going to drive and I'll meet you there. And, you know, he picked, Rosie picked me up at the airport and, uh, you know, we were there, we met the family and, uh, you know, his older brothers and, and their family and stuff. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was a tough situation. And, you know, a, a good friend of, um, Lewis's and, um, uh, College, uh, Lasley Spencer, you know, he hadn't seen Lewis in a long time. He was good friends with Lewis and Eddie Moss and Rosie. And, uh, you know, he showed up. So, you know, we had the three of us there, you know, representing uh, Syracuse University. And uh, the coaches were there the night before for the viewing. Uh, you know, they didn't stay for the funeral the next day. But, uh, you know, we, you know, we represented and, uh, you know, we, like I said, you saw the picture of us with Patrick Ewing and his coaching staff is there and his son. And, um, you know, Lewis, you know, like you said, Lewis made a great impression on a lot of people. And he's going to be greatly missed. And it's unfortunate that, um, you know, some of the young players at Georgetown didn't get a longer experience with Lewis Orr. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he affected a lot of people's lives. And there's something to be said for that, right, guys? Yeah. Well, yeah. How about you, Coach Brown? You know, um, when you get to be my age, um, you know, you realize that uh, you're closer to the end than you are to the beginning. Uh, and every day, you know, uh, you see someone's obituary and if you're fortunate, you know, um, you don't, you know, you don't lose loved ones, but it's, it's part of life. And last year, you know, I lost my sister, I lost a first cousin, uh, you know, Lewis died. Uh, and I think the lesson and, and, and Lewis, surprisingly, that that hit me hard, because, you know, I knew this kid when he was 17. You know, I knew this kid when he was 16. And uh, he used to you know, come to my apartment with some of our players and eat hamburgers out on the veranda. So, you know, I didn't know that he was ill. Um, and I would always look for him on the bench. And when I didn't see him, I, I wondered like everybody else. But, uh, you know, I've been away from college basketball for a while now. So uh, I don't have the connections to, you know, find things out. But uh, it hit me hard. Uh, but it taught me a lesson. And the lesson it taught me is uh, you got to enjoy every day because you just don't know. And uh, I, you know, felt terrible for Patrick uh, and his family. Um, but he did what God sent him here to do. 
You know, he touched a lot of lives and he was a good Christian man who ran his race and God said, come home. So mm-hmm. yeah. Go ahead. let me pass this on to you, Chuck, because I, I remember it um, for me. Like I said, I was in touch with Lewis for, you know, a few things, mostly through text. And uh, then I hadn't heard from him for a while. And just like, you know, I think I remember saying something to you, like we didn't see him on the bench. I went to the Syracuse. He wasn't. Yeah. And, and and people were talking about, okay, what about we doing alumni? That was the Pearl Ring of Honor and the Bayheim Ring of Honor ceremony at this Georgetown game. So I, I just remember having some conversations and nobody had any information other than they really hadn't heard. And, and you know, everybody's like, Lewis is a private Lewis. And he there's no question. He has a very deep religious personal you know, person. So, you know, you don't press it. Right. So I just remember reaching out and I hadn't heard back. And then I did reach out to Rosie, I believe. And then and that's when I'd heard that he was in hospice. And I was, I would, that, that blew me away. Cause it wasn't, Oh, he's ill. He's fighting something. I didn't even know what he was battling to the point where now he's in hospice. So then when I heard it, that it was, it was uh, that he had passed that, that was a really, that was a tough one. Cause he's, you know, as as we get older, those guys that were our heroes are closer in age to us, and it's it's much more impactful. And you know, just like Coach said, I mean, enjoy every day because that could be us, man. So, yeah, it, that seems to be the lesson in the world that we live in today, guys. Since this pandemic and everything, you know, and tell the people that you love, you love them, and give your family a hug when you see them, and um, live every day like it's your last because it could be. And guys, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming out today. And Sonny and I appreciate you. Thank you. Appreciate it. I know. I know. Sometimes it's not easy to talk about people that you're really fond of, and uh, in that kind of way, it's a bittersweet thing. And we truly uh, appreciate you coming out and sharing um, your thoughts and and stories about uh, Louis Sor. So you've been listening to this very special edition of the Big East Rewind as we talked about the legendary Syracuse player, and more importantly, an even bigger and even a bigger legend as a person, the great Lewis Orr from Syracuse University. Thanks a lot for joining us. Have a great night.